Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta, and joining me right now is Peggy Stanton. Peggy is the author of From the White House to the White Cross. She's a dame of the Order of Malta, was ABC News' first female Washington correspondent, and hosts many programs for Ave Maria Radio, including the Malta Minute with the Catechism. And Peggy and I try to get together every week to focus in on the Sunday Gospel reading, and she also shares what she's learned from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And this week, uh, this Sunday, we've got the uh, Transfiguration from Matthew chapter 17, 1 through 9. And Transfiguration, by the way, uh, New Testament scholars say it's really the climax or the culmination of his public life. You have the baptism at the beginning, and you have the ascension at the end, and you've got the transfiguration of Christ uh, right there as kind of the peak of his public life. Peggy, good to have you here. Thank you, Al. It's good to be here. It's, it's a fascinating—I've always been fascinated by uh, the transfiguration yeah. and it. Yeah, uh, I, I'm always. <laughs> you can you can really kind of uh, put yourself there on the top of the mountain, just, just staring at <laughs> yeah. our Lord suddenly becoming glorious. It, it, what a moment that must have been. Hmm? Yeah, let me let me quickly read the text, and then we'll go yeah. right to the your uh, research here. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with him. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud cast a shadow over them. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell prostrate and were very much afraid. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise, do not be afraid. And when the disciples raised their eyes, they saw no one else but Jesus alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, Do not tell the vision to anyone until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. End quote. It is a rich passage, and it's used in the Catechism huh, a few times. Oh, it is, yeah. I, I You know, I, this is kind of a strange, maybe, reflection on my part, but I've always wondered... How did they know? With and uh, did our Lord announce this is Moses and this right. is Elijah? Right. It, yeah. They it, didn't wear name tags. They did. <laughs> right. There had to be some uh, self something that was self evident to them, but, but I don't know what it was. I, I'm always I'm always amazed that there's a conversation going on between yeah. Moses, Jesus, and Elijah, and you say to yourself, "What in the world were they talking about?" <laughs> Well, then it, it indicates in uh, the research what they, and I hadn't, until this research, I don't think I knew that they were discussing uh, the fact that he was, you know, going to, going toward his, as they put it, exodus. Yes. Meaning yes. his passion. Um, but uh, paragraph 444 in the uh, Catechism says, kind of reiterates what you uh, read. The Gospels report that at two 
solemn moments, the baptism and the transfiguration of Christ, the voice of the Father designates Jesus his beloved Son. Mm. Jesus calls himself the only Son of God, and by this title affirms his eternal pre-existence. He asks for faith in the name of the only Son of God. And in the centurion's exclamation before the crucified Christ, truly this man was the Son of God, that Christian confession is already heard. Only in the Paschal mystery can the believer give the title Son of God, though, its full meaning. Mm, okay. yeah. And paragraph 554 uh, talks about uh, the day Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Master began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Peter scorns this prediction, nor do the others understand it any better than he it must have been extremely difficult to understand what he was talking about. Uh, uh, yes, I mean, he, in Matthew 16, we have the Jesus asking, who do men say that I am? Mm-hmm. And Peter speaks, saying, you are the Son of God. Then Jesus, of course, confers the keys on Peter uh, and says he's the rock upon which the church will be built. And then the very next paragraph, uh, next chapter, you've got the transfiguration experience. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. um, in between, uh, Jesus has begun to tell them why he has to go up to Jerusalem uh, to yeah. die. And Peter says, no, you're not going to do that. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. I mean, yeah. this had to be—you can see, these they were confused. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I would have been totally confused. Yeah. Um, But in this context, the mysterious episode of Jesus' transfiguration takes place before, and of course, he chooses these three witnesses. They make the point in the catechism. Jesus himself chooses Peter, James, and John to be with him. Uh, And then we talked about this when Moses and Elijah appear, and they speak of his departure, which he was to accomplish at Jerusalem. Then the cloud covers him, and the voice from heaven says, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. In paragraph 555, for just a moment, Jesus discloses his divine glory, confirming Peter's confession. He also reveals again that he will have to go by way of the cross in Jerusalem in order to enter into this glory. Uh, Moses and Elijah had seen God's glory on the mountain of the law, and the prophets had announced the Messiah's sufferings. Um, Christ's passion is the will of the Father. The Son acts as God's servant. The cloud indicates the presence of the Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity appeared, the Father in the voice, the Son in the man, the spirit in the shining cloud, and that that um, reflection comes from Saint Thomas Aquinas. Interesting, yeah. Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah I you have the whole Trinity I... there: the Father, yeah, and the voice. Had the you Son. thought of that? 
I, no, I I, in fact, I hadn't. That's why it's kind of just caught my attention here. Uh, you have the yeah. spirit in the shining cloud. I don't think I made that association. Um, mm-hmm. It is the Shekinah mm-hmm. glory, though, that rested over the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And uh, the word, the Hebrew word there, or excuse me, the, the Greek word translating the Hebrew uh, in mm-hmm. the Septuagint is the word overshadowed, which is the same word that's used in the Annunciation uh, narrative, that mm, the Spirit right. overshadowed yeah. Mary. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. was the Spirit, yeah. So that makes sense that this is the, the Shekinah glory cloud that was there at the tabernacle mm-hmm. and in some way overshadowed Mary as well. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and, and you, as it says, the um, Trinity, uh, all the Trinity was there at the Transfiguration. Uh, this is a little sidebar, but it's interesting. Uh, you've been to Ave Maria, uh, the town. Oh, and, yeah. And yeah, many times. In the church, and you've uh, seen, I presume, that magnificent crucifix hanging mm, yes. over the altar. Yes, yes. Have you ever noticed, uh, the lighting has to be right, but on either side of Christ, there are two shadows. Uh, I do not yeah. recall that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I remember saying to Tom Monahan, I said, that, that is, was that planned? And he said, no. He said, <laughs> when, wow. that, he said, when it was put up there and the lights were turned on, there were the two shadows. And so, uh, you know, I looked up there, I've always felt awful Christ was up there by himself, but he wasn't. You know, the Father and the Holy Spirit were yeah. with him in some mystical way. Sure. And when you... So we have come to call this uh, the Trinitarian crucifix. Mm. Interesting. Because, yeah, it's fascinating to look at it. And the shadows are just, you know, obviously they're the shadows of, of Christ uh, that uh, from from the cross, but they're different. Each one is, they're not the same. And so, anyway, that yeah. it seems to us that it's kind of a a mystical, um, sure. spiritual observation that we come up with. Yeah. Um, the the catechism also cites um, the this prayer that is said in the Byzantine liturgy on the Feast of the Transfiguration, and, and it's a prayer to our Lord: "You were transfigured on the mountain, and your disciples." as much as they were capable of it, beheld your glory, O Christ our God, so that when they should see you crucified, they would understand that your passion was voluntary and proclaim to the world that you truly are the splendor of the Father. And as I said, that comes from the Byzantine yeah. liturgy. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and the final paragraph, uh, two paragraphs, uh, you know, we, we speak of, uh, our Lord alludes to John the Baptist, and he says, Elijah uh, has come. The fire of the Spirit dwells in John the Baptist and makes him the forerunner of the coming Lord. In John, the precursor, the Holy Spirit completes the work of making ready a people prepared for the Lord. Hmm. Uh, And John the Baptist, the Catechism says, is more than a prophet. In him, 
the Holy Spirit concludes his speaking through the prophets. John completes the cycle of prophets begun by Elijah. He proclaims the imminence of the consolation of Israel. He is the voice of the consoler who is coming. As the spirit of truth will also do, John came to bear witness to the light. In John's sight, the Spirit thus brings to completion the careful search of the prophets and fulfills the longing of the angels. He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have seen and bear witness that this is the Son of God. Behold, John says, the Lamb of God. Mm. Wow. It is interesting that Elijah is the first major prophetic figure in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that John the Baptist kind of concludes that series of prophets. Mm -hmm. And he's, Mm -hmm. he's called, uh, he's, there's a, there's a, John the Baptist is a type of Elijah for certain. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, it, it, they, where I just saw in some research that it was, rumored that uh, uh, Elijah would have to come uh, back. But was it a rumor? I thought it was actually said somewhere in Scripture, but maybe it was only something that was passed down through tradition. What do you think? Well, the answer is uh, yes. Uh, But there's always the question of the degree to which the prophecy is perfectly literal or is it being spoken typologically? So uh, if, if, if John the Baptist was literally Elijah, then the reincarnationists uh, are right, I guess. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 um, but Elijah functions as a type uh, of mm-hmm. the prophet, and John the Baptist brings that prophetic ministry to its climax. So in a way, Elijah's at the beginning and he's at the end of the prophetic ministry. That's how I've understood it. And, uh, you know, you often hear that uh, Jews to this day have a place, a seat for Elijah. Uh, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I hear the music. Yeah, music's coming up. Uh, Peggy, thank you. Great being with you. Thank and, you. Uh, I really do appreciate the, the work that you do uh, illuminating these uh, gospel readings for Sunday. Thanks. I learned myself. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Talk to you soon. <laughs>